Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Work in Progress. I am your host, Joanna, and today we will be talking about how we can improve our decision-making to maximize our productivity. Today, I'm joined by Gashermo Campitelli, who is a professor at Murdoch University in Perth. Hi, Gashermo. How are you today? Hi, Joanna. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Um, Would you like to start off by introducing yourself with a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yes, I'm Shermo Campitelli. I'm a Pro Vice-Chancellor in Health and Education here at Merdoch University. And um, my background is in psychology. So I've got a PhD in psychology. Um, My research is in expertise and decision-making. I specialized in um, expertise in chess, so I was wondering how chess players make decisions, and then I moved to uh, generalize that, that to the general population, so how everyone makes decisions and makes judgments about uh, things in the world. Yeah, amazing. And I also know you've done some study and work outside of Australia. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, I'm originally from Argentina. That's where I did my uh, degree in psychology. And I I started investigating chess uh, players and their decision-making processes and memory, uh, problem-solving. Um, and then I went to the UK, to the University of Nottingham, to do a PhD. And, and I continued my studies with chess experts. And I did... Um, fMRI studies as functional magnetic resonance imaging. So basically, I wanted to know which areas of the brain are um, activated when chess players um, uh, look at chess positions. Um, I looked at the eye movements, so where do they pay attention to, um, and all sorts of uh, behavioral tasks uh, with the idea of understanding how, how they make decisions and Typically, that is also used as a model of how uh, people make decisions in general. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really excited to get into more of that with our questions as well. But before that, I'd love to get to know you more with a few get to know our guest questions. So I'll start off by asking you if you've got a favorite book or any ones that you recommend to us. Yeah, so uh, this is the first book I read when I went to the UK. Um, It's uh, a book by... um, Daniel Dennett, who is a philosopher, and um, the book is Consciousness Explained. And basically, this is the book that introduced me to um, an area of, of uh, psychology and philosophy, which is um, what is consciousness, how um, how consciousness emerges in evolution, and etc. So that that's a, a book that uh, was. Although I, I disagree in a lot of things with uh, Daniel Dennett, this is a book that was very important in, in the way of thinking for me. And, and, and my whole career, uh, I, I started to think in terms of not just the ex- specific experiments that I'm doing, but what are the implications in a more global sense of how, in my case, you know, how the mind works. And so that was... Uh, it's a, it's a really, really important book for me. Yeah, amazing. And do you normally read a lot of nonfiction? Yes, uh, I only read nonfiction. Yeah. And uh, and so and now I'm yeah mainly um, listening. So I I don't have too much time for reading, and 
So I, when I'm, I'm commuting to work, I listen to inaudible, um, all nonfiction books. Yeah. Are you into podcasts at all? Yes. Yes. Uh, um, so I'm more into books than in podcasts, but I do listen to podcasts. And one of my favorites is um, Sean Carroll's uh, podcast is uh, Mindscape. Sean Carroll is a theoretical physicist, and uh, but his podcast he interviews people in in philosophy, psychology, um, social sciences, biology, genetics. He's, it's very, very interesting, and he himself is a very uh, uh, prolific um, theoretician in in physics, in fundamental physics, and uh, yeah, I'm very interested in these topics. Yeah, amazing. And in terms of like TV series, um, is there anything that you like to watch? Yeah. So, so again, this was probably the the first series in, in uh, outside my country that I watched was the um, Doctor House. That that's um, yeah the the analytic thinking that goes into the into Doctor House and um, that that uh, attracts me. It's very so what I like to do in my life to be, try to be analytic and probably will come in some of the questions um, and uh, so that was a really nice series uh, to watch. Yeah, and what's that one about? Oh, so Dr. House is uh, it's, a, it's a doctor in a hospital and who receives very complex cases and they, the group needs to come to a diagnosis of what's the, what's the, um, what's suffering, the, the, what's the, suffer, the patient suffering and and then, then they come up with some hypotheses of what's going on, what could be going on, and then they try some medication. Then doesn't work. So then they, then based on that, they eliminate a potential diagnosis. So they, they need to come up with another diagnosis, and until they get it right. So yeah. that is a bit of what we scientists do, and uh, so that's why it's um, it was very interesting for me to watch. Yeah, is this an American TV show? Yeah, American. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I've watched like one or two seasons of it and it's really yeah. good. Yeah, it's a really good show. So that's a great one. And um, do you have a famous role model in your life or even just anyone that you personally know that inspires you? Yeah, so um, I, I, perhaps my role model is not famous. It's... It, he won a Nobel Prize in, in 1978, is Herbert Simon, and he's um, a person who was a polymath, and he uh, developed a theory of um, what is that is called boundary rationality, and based on that theory, he won the Nobel Prize in economics. That influenced my research into decision-making because he's, um, he said he, he studied a lot of things. He was... Um, uh, the founding fathers of artificial intelligence, the the field of um, cognitive <clears throat> cognitive psychology, um, economics, but he said that he only had one thing in mind. He studied all these things, but with only one thing in mind, which was how people make this, make decisions. So that inspired me, and that's why uh, I'm very interested in how people make decisions. And so that was, in a sense, the role model. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I'd love to just get into our interview questions now. So my first one for you is, over the course of your experience, how would you personally define personal productivity? Yeah, so producti productivity is typically associated with some products. So how, how um, you come up with uh, producing something. Now, I like to think of that as uh, thoughts to be also products, but probably you you can't see those those um, those thoughts. So when you come up with an idea uh, that may take a long time to develop, that is also a product. I like to think of a product. So in a sense, uh, um, when I talk to uh, consider what productivity is, 
um, not only I think I think of ideas as products, but also I'm interested in the process or on the 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 final outcome. So when I think if I'm being productive, um, perhaps I have a day in which I didn't accomplish anything, but I was thinking and producing, trying to uh, produce ideas. And at, when, uh, when you're trying to produce something complex, you may not achieve anything in, the, in a particular day. So was I productive that day? If I think on, on, the, on the outcome only, I didn't produce anything. But if I think in, well, did I pay attention? Was I concentrated all the time? Or what was I distracted? Uh, did I make good decisions on on which uh, which options to consider? Um, and if the answer is yes, I would be I would be happy, and I would be think I I'd be uh, considering that I was productive that day, even though there was no outcome. And and you sometimes if you if you think that productivity is only related to outcomes, then you thought, oh, that was very useless day but in fact the outcome will come in the future if you if you were productive in the sense of being concentrated and are making good decisions on what to think and what to consider what to not consider yeah and would you say that you're still productive even if you haven't accomplished the tasks that you wanted to do for the day yes so that's uh that's something that um um that as something that I, I, a philosophy that I follow or a technique that I follow is that I tend to uh, put myself goals that are uh, uh, more challenging. That so they are challenging to achieve, um, and or even not goals but tasks that I said, okay, this day I'm going to do all these tasks, even though I know that it's very difficult that I would would be able to to do all these tasks but I put that as to challenge myself so at the end of the day I said well of these 10 tasks that I was going to do I did seven so it may send that or it may, it may be considered a, a failure but in fact I, I if if I was realistic at the beginning perhaps I just put only five tasks so in this way I did seven I didn't achieve the goal but I did more than if I was realistic so because I challenged myself now the important thing when you follow that that approach is that you don't feel bad because you didn't achieve the, the 10 tasks but I but I yeah but I do that and I yeah I don't feel bad as long as uh, what that's uh, that I feel that as the, the the process was good the, the process that I I, I, I wasn't uh, I was concentrated all the time I didn't lose time I didn't waste time I uh, and I could make choices of what to do at each time yeah amazing and I think that approach is a great one to have and requires a lot of awareness as well which I'm sure we'll get into as we talk more about decision making um, but I'd also like to ask you if there are any misconceptions when it comes to productivity Um, perhaps what I said before is that that the that you are only productive when when um, when you when you have an, a final outcome, uh, and uh, so to me that, that's a misconception. Um, if your process was appropriate, then that to me is is should be considered that you are productive. Yeah, great. And how would you go on to then define decision making? Okay, so decision making is um, it's any situation in which you you have uh, you're presented with more than two or you know, more than one option, and then and you need to um, choose one of the options. Now, one thing that I like to say here is that. Um, and that 
talking about misconceptions, perhaps this is one in in in, in decision making, is that not doing something should be considered a choice. And so, because sometimes um, we have, uh, we need to decide whether to do something, and that's one choice, but the, the other choice is not to do that. And typically, doing something is considered that you make, you made a decision, okay, I made a decision to do something, but if I don't do that, it's not considered a decision. It's considered that you didn't do anything, that you didn't make a decision. Now, this may seem a little bit of pedantic, but I think it's important because when in some in some situations, like perhaps you need to decide on whether to take a new job, a new opportunity, and then you start thinking, okay, what, what are the benefits and what are the costs? of taking this new job. And then you consider that perhaps it's, it's, it's good or 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 bad, whatever. But you need to compare that to not if you to maintain the job that you have now. So you need to consider if you decide to to, to remain in the job you have now, the benefits and the costs as well. And then, only then, you compare the, the two options. And me, and why why this is important? Because maybe the the option of taking the new job was not so good, but when you compare with remaining in the current job, then it becomes it becomes really good because the, mm. the current situation is 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 not a, not a good one. So and likewise, it could be that when you analyze a a potential new job, you get um, you decide. Oh, this is really good. But then you need to compare to the current job because perhaps your current job is even better than than what you are thinking of. Mm. So I think that that is uh, some yeah, misconceptions that you get in decision making, and uh, which is not giving consideration to the option of doing nothing. That is actually yeah. should be a an active decision of doing nothing. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of like, for the example you gave with jobs, what if someone decides to take the new job and then they think they've made the wrong decision and then they're looking back on the job they had and thinking that that one's better? How do you go about dealing with making the wrong decision? Okay, so um, what... Uh, a very important concept in decision making is uh, what is called sunk costs. Sunk costs are costs that you um, that you have to that you had in the past, and to and to make a decision. So, yes, in order to to take a new job, you have to uh, sacrifice some things, and you made investment. Maybe you have rented it rent a new house in a different place uh, and many different things that is cost. And because you did that, then you say, well, I, I need to stay in this job regardless of what happens because I made all these sacrifices, so I need to stick to this. Uh, so one thing that it's, uh, it's a concept in, concept in decision-making, economics, and also I learned from studying chess players and being a chess player, is that it doesn't matter what happened in the past. If from now you you analyze uh, decisions, and the decision could be to return to the previous job or to stay in the new on the new job or to go somewhere else. So you analyze costs and benefits of, of these three options, and then if the best option is to return to the previous job, then that's your decision you need to make. Regardless of if you th- if you think in terms of, okay, I was in that job, then I left, and then I returned. I wasted a lot of 
money or our resources and and time. Um, so you feel that you made a mistake, but the mistake was the first one, not the second one. So that's that's uh, that's very important to to always think from now. What's the, my best option? Without considering how do you got to that, how did you get to that situation? Yeah, I really like that. I like that idea of like the second one is not a mistake, was it? Not the not. first one is. Yeah, I really yes. like that concept and like not focusing on like the past, but more where you can go from here. I think that's a really important takeaway. Yeah. And then how would you say that productive decision-making influences our personal productivity? Yeah, so um, we make decisions all the time. So every, every minute we make decisions. We make decisions on what to eat or or um, what to pay attention to. Um, and so, and if we pay attention to things that are not useful, then that 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 the decision making affects productivity. Um, so. The important thing here to me is that if we, by having this mindset of thinking that um, that we are making decisions um, every minute, is that we become more uh, self-aware of what we are uh, doing. And now, the problem could be that you are so self aware of what you are doing that you paralyze. So we should never get to that stage. So basically being um, reflective of what we are doing and but being also um, forgiving towards yourself. So if you realize that, well, I'm, I'm just not paying attention to this and I'm, that was, I'm not being productive, then yeah, don't be nice to yourself. It's not you shouldn't just um, um, be uh, too harsh to yourself and just say, okay, well now I have the opportunity to change that. So from now on, doesn't matter what I did in the past. So now I make the decision to focus on on these or that. Um, so in that sense, it's just the mindset of if of decision that we are making decisions all the time that helps us to focus more on what we are doing and that will affect productivity yeah that's great and in terms of like decision making what are some of the key factors that causes people to be indecisive well so if we, when you asked me about the role model, I mentioned Herbert Simon. Um, Herbert Simon had this idea that in order to, um, so what, what, how people make decisions is completely different than uh, the traditional models uh, that the, the the mainstream economics developed about uh, decision making. So basically, the traditional economics economic models are that the People are rational decision makers, and they uh, they consider all the possible options. Then um, base the option that is best. Then that's um, and that's chosen. And well, so that's an idea that is, in, in, although it sounds like not a very good idea, um, but. And nobody would say that because we know that we make mistakes all the time and uh, we are not rational all the time. But in the models, in the economic theory, they are in, in, embedded in those models. So implicitly, it is uh, assumed that we do do that. So Herbert Simon says, in fact, we don't do that. We, uh, it wouldn't be ra rational to do that either. Because if you... If you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to consider 10 possible options and then I I'm start to, to um, giving a score to these possible options, 
well, the time to, that it takes to do that should be taken into account. And sometimes the time it takes to do that is much more than the time you have to make to make that decision. So that would be a one way of the, why, why people are indecisive, because they wouldn't make a decision until they have full information of the situation. And so Herbert Simon studied chess players to see how they make decisions. And what he found was that um, chess players don't analyze all the possible options. What they do is to, they, they set a, what you call a satisfaction level. So basically, if I find an option that um, reaches this threshold of satisfaction, then I choose that option. So that may be the first option, maybe the second, the third, the fourth. So, but it's not that I'm going to analyze all the options and then compare, but I will, They, when one option becomes reasonable enough or satisfactory enough for the chess player, they do choose that one. And that's because they have a time pressure to make decisions. So if, if you had an infinite amount of time, then you, you should consider all the options. But if you don't, then you need to make those informed um, decisions. So one reason why people aren't indecisive is because they are scared of making decisions with, without full information. And yeah. I, re I return to what I said before. Not making the decision is a decision as well. So you need to also consider what are the costs of not making that decision. Yeah. And do you think people gain more clarity after they've made a decision that they can see things more clearly after they've decided what to do? Yeah. So, so that's yeah, very nice question. So uh, they get information. So when they make a decision, then it's, uh, then you, they can see the consequences. And perhaps, yeah, you have it in your mind of, well, what happens if I do this? And you never do it. You never see what are the actual consequences. So, yes, it provides you information, and then you can incorporate that into your thinking and then um, keep uh, improving your situation with better decisions in the future. Yeah, and do you think that overthinking plays a big part in decision-making? Yes, but so the the um, one thing that uh, um, concept that comes to my mind is the uh, meta decision making. So basically, sometimes we we need to okay make uh, uh, some uh, some processes that lead us to make a decision. Um, but another another that thing that I'm studying in my research is. Um, at a, at a different level, do I have to um, actually spend some time in in this situation and then execute the processes that will lead to a decision or not? This is not relevant at this stage and I have to shouldn't pay, pay any any time to this to this situation rather I have to focus on something else. So that's a uh, Something uh, that I'm I'm studying now with the uh, using virtual reality. I I um, created a task with some colleagues here at Murdoch University, or um, in which I we asked participants to play a an arc. They are in an arcade and they have the option to choose to whatever game they want, and then they they gain uh, tickets by. Um, by playing the games, but what we are interested in is not how many tickets they 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 gain, but whether they make the right decisions. So when they get the information that um, that something um, and that one of the games is very profitable, they are getting a lot of tickets. They actually should stay there, and or the other way around if they they. They acquire the information that are, they're um, earning very few tickets there. Then they should they should move to to go to explore other games. 
And so you were talking about overthinking. If you, uh, if you, um, if you don't know, if you, you're thinking, okay, maybe I should go there, maybe I should go there, then you're wasting a lot of time. And and mm -hmm. uh, and then in this game that we have created, you're losing points by not by overthinking what would be the best. And then sometimes the best option is to choose one option, go to that uh, and get information about that. So yes, overthinking, it's a, it's a problem. It's not the only one, but it's one of the problems that um, lead to, to people to make mis mistakes in, in decision-making. Yeah, and back to your like virtual reality game, what inspired you to want to create that? Interestingly, I was uh, playing with my kids um, a video game. It was um, Overcook, and basically, what I I realized that my kids were much better than me in mm -hmm. in the execution. But what I realized is that I was having an I was having an oversight of, okay, these are the tasks that should be done in, in this order. So I was actually saying, oh, you do this, you do that. Whereas, and they were very good at what they were doing. And I was really bad at what I was doing, but <laughs> I was good at determining what should be done at which stage. So um, then when I, 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 I told this story to my colleagues and, and, and based on that, we came up with the idea of the arcade, which is something similar. In, this, in terms of you have several tasks and then you have to decide where to go. So we were measuring that that component, not not the whether the decisions at the local level are correct, but whether some someone has a global uh, understanding of the situation. So that's that what inspired me to do that. And virtual reality is um, that's because. Um, Typically in decision-making, the tasks we have to do research are very artificial. So they are vignettes with situations that we tell people, um, okay, you are in this situation and what decision, what, uh, what decision would be appropriate. So, but we were interested in decision-making in the real world. And for example, our funding body um, was about submarines and so how how people make decisions in submarines, but actually in any real life situation that requires, um, that is safety critical, for example, if you're a, a, a air traffic controller or a um, atomic uh, a nuclear plant operator, and it's that, that you have to make decisions in in the wild, not just in a desk and, and uh, with information, uh, with abstract or numerical information, but you are there doing things, uh, or firefighters are in another case. Um, so we thought, well, the, the problem of investigating um, those uh, situations is that uh, you can only do research until when something serious happens. Instead yeah. of instead of doing that, so we use virtual reality to create a situation that is a sort of realistic. It's not the real thing, but it's, it's but it's much better than just being in your computer and and uh, reading something. And but at the same time, we can control the situations, and we can in in forty five minutes uh, measure the capacity to in meta decision making. Yeah, I really like that idea of like simulating reality as a way of like discovering more about decision making. I think that's a really cool concept. Uh, I'd also like to ask you about another concept. Um, would you be able to tell us what uh, Bayesian inference is? Yeah, so that's something that I'm involved uh, right now. So I do research in, in Bayesian inference. And, uh, so basically, um, this is a type of reasoning in which people have to use probabilities to make a judgment. Um, and basically, we are really bad. We, we, we are really, really bad at making those um, judgments. 
we are okay with dealing with probabilities, but when we have to deal with what is called conditional probabilities, which is what's the probability of something if something else happened? So, so you, you need to consider what was the probability of what of the first thing, and then within that was the probability of the sec second thing. We get confused. Um, so what I am trying to develop is a, a visual aid in the form of a grid with shapes that allows people to, to understand what is required to do in, the, that, in that, um, type of reasoning and, and yeah, and guide their, their judgments. So actually. Again, what inspired me to do that is that I struggle as well. So I, when I, I am presented with these um, situations that require pro probabilistic thinking, even though I teach statistics, I deal with probabilities all the time, I also get confused. So mm -hmm. I said, well, if I get confused, I, 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 I want to understand this. So I created a visual aid that allows me to that helps me to solve those problems. And I'm trying to see whether that can help training, uh, train uh, students or uh, whoever needs to um, deal with these sort of problems. That's a very uh, typical problem that uh, doctors are, uh, uh, that have to deal with when they have to tell the uh, advice their patients in whether they um, they have to go through surgery. Um, okay, so what's the the probability of success of the surgery? Um, that's you can give that piece of information. But when you talk about well, what's the probability of the success, given that this person has these specific characteristics, then that changes completely, and so even doctors struggle with with understanding that type of information. Now the thing yeah. that that was uh, that uh, it was in the media a lot when we had the COVID vaccination was whether they said there were some some um, newspapers that were saying that that the vaccination wasn't effective because um, a lot of people that were in the hospitals were vaccinated. Uh, well, the problem is that if that didn't take into account what we call the base rate, which was the percentage of people that already were vaccinated, and that was a time that vaccination was very, very uh, massive. So uh, most people were vaccinated. So when you go in the hospital and you see how many people are vaccinated, how many people are not, you are going to see more people vaccinated. That's because there are more people vaccinated in um, in the country. And that doesn't mean that the vaccination is not effective. And in fact, it was the opposite. And so understanding that is, is really important for um, providing information to the public and and ourselves. When we, when we understand how to use probabilities, we can make more uh, uh, better decisions, and uh, when we, when doctors tell us what was the, what's the probability of success for a surgery or this test, what, what's the probability that if you test positive in this test that you will have a, a disease that you are uh, exploring. Yeah, and what are some other like benefits that using probability can bring towards enhancing decision making? Okay, so. Um, Returning to Bayesian, Bayesian reasoning, which is that it uses probability, but it uses it in a in an interesting way, which is this. So, in, in Bayesian reasoning, you start with a uh, what is called a prior belief. So that is how much you believe that something will happen, uh, and you use probabilities for that. And you can say, mm -hmm. okay, well, based on the information I have, then the probability of this happening is 50% and the probability of not happening is 50%. And, and then you acquire new information. And basically what you need to know, what you need to uh, find out is 
that information, how likely it is whether uh, uh, whether the event happens and how likely it is if the event doesn't happen. And then you combine those your prior uh, belief with the likelihood of the new information, and then you, you end up with a posterior belief. And mathematically, it could be a little bit complicated, but the idea is that when you, when you receive information, it, you should not use just this piece of information to make a decision. You need to combine that piece of information with your, your prior knowledge, the knowledge you have about the situation before you receive the, the, uh, this piece of information. When you combine that, then you have a new piece of knowledge. That's your new prior belief. And then you will receive new information, and then you combine with the, with the prior knowledge, and you keep updating in that way. So that uh, the interesting thing of that is that there are two... The, the opposites of this is... The opposite extremes is, I've got to believe about something. No doesn't matter what information you present to me, I will always be stuck to that belief. That is, that's, a, that's a, when you have a, a, a prejudice about something, and then no matter what information you receive, you would stick to that. The opposite to that is, oh, you get, new, you get information, and then now you change your mind based on that piece of information. And that's also not very stable. So, so the Bayesian approach allows you to uh, combine your your prior beliefs to new information, and you change more gradually in in your in your your beliefs about situations in the world. Yeah, and do you think that this approach is something that like the average person can adopt easily, or does it require some more like training or self discipline to do it? Yeah. So, so the the technical part is. It's a bit complicated, but that's why I, I'm developing visual aids to to make that easier. Um, and uh, if in that case, if you don't, if you are not looking at the precise values that 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 you want to calculate, and that's why I, I my visual aids have shapes, and the the shape tells you what's the probability. It's not a number, so you don't know exactly the values. Then you can get to that, but that is in terms of the the the, the very technical aspect of Bayesian reasoning. But this more broad aspect of combining uh, prior knowledge with new information and combine those and then change gradually. I think that that's um, it's just uh, not difficult to to implement. Um, and this goes beyond probabilities. It goes; uh, it, it can be used in terms of how do I change um, uh, my views about things, um, and that is a more rational way doing things um, than just stuck to your previous beliefs and or just whatever people tell you. Then you adopt. Um, so that is easy. Um, to implement the the more broad broad conception of Bayesian reasoning is, is more easy to um, to implement in everyday life. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a super interesting way of going about it because to me, when I think of decision making, it's more just like make one decision or another. But I feel like it's good to know that there are layers behind how you make a decision as well. Yeah, um, indeed. Yeah, and when it comes to decision making do you think that trusting your instincts could be another good way to make a decision that's a very one very good question um i would say yes and no and and that comes uh, um the context of this is there is a debate in decision making research between uh, two different very different uh, conceptions one is uh that one developed by uh, Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics in in uh, uh, 2002. He wrote a book, um, Think, uh, Think uh, Slow and Fast, uh, quite 
um, a popular book. Um, so basically, he says uh, that in order to be rational, you need to follow some sort of rational model, a mathematical or probabilistic or, or decision theory, whatever. And then basically, he did research and showed that people don't do that. People actually use um, sort of heuristics, which are shortcuts, and they are biased. Um, that's one tradition of research. The other tradition is that developed by Gergi Gerenzer in the Max Planck Institute in Germany. He says, yes, we do use heuristics, which is uh, shortcuts, but it's, that is the rational thing to do. Uh, and basically, that would be the the option of just use your instincts and and uh, because you don't have time to make uh, use formal models to make decisions you need to you need to make uh, decisions under time pressure and then he says our brain actually developed uh, evolved over the over the millions of years of evolution evolved to make decisions that way so basically um we are actually rational. Okay, so my view, which is more in line with the Herbert Simons, the one I mentioned before, is that that depends on how experts we are in something. So we may be experts in some situations because we were we acquire knowledge, we spend a lot of time in in some field of uh, um, or some discipline. So we can be very rational in those situations, but not rational in other situations which we don't have knowledge. So when I, when uh, you ask me about trusting your instincts, now if you are expert in a field, typically you, your instincts will be really good to mm. to to make decisions. So uh, then you should trust your instincts. Although although if you have more time, you can elaborate a bit more, find uh, uh, do a more formal process. But if you don't have time, you trust your index and the decisions would be good. But in fields in which you are not an expert, um, then trusting in your instincts would probably not lead to a, a good decision because your your instincts will not uh, are not based on on knowledge that you acquire in the past. So what what you are going to come up with is is not a good a good uh, decision so depends on how expert you are that you should trust your instincts or not now what is it an expert because uh it may be considered that only that this applies to uh, people who are in the elite of uh, uh, in a sport, sports or, uh, or 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 chess or in, in other professions um no we um there are things that we all become experts in, that they are experts. For example, we all speak one language. Uh, so we are experts in the use of that language. And so when you speak a language, you are all, all the time using your instincts. Uh, so when you when you use when 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 you're speaking in your first language, the the words come very easily. It's like, okay, what should I say next? It comes directly to you and it's probably the right thing. Uh, to say when you are when when English is not your first language like my case uh, perhaps that's not the case I need to think about what to say because the word comes yeah. to mind is, is not the right word and so language is one area in the we everybody is expert in at least one language and and uh, face recognition is another one because um, either because that's an innate capacity, or because we are exposed to faces in, in all the time in our lives, that we become experts in recognizing faces. So, uh, so um, yeah, that question of, of instinct becomes with, well, how much experience you have in the field? How much, if you're in the past, you are a person that you are very reflective, that you are observant of things, then you can trust in your instincts. Because you 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 um, you have knowledge that uh, in your memory that when you don't have 
time to make decisions, the first thing that comes typically could be a reasonable thing. But if you don't have, you're, you're, you're not a person that re, is self-reflective um, 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 or make observations about behaviors, and then perhaps um, your instincts would not be very good. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that maybe it's important to take like an objective stance when it comes to deciding if you are an expert in this sort of decision that you're going to be making? Yeah, so I think uh, uh, we tend to overestimate how experts we are in things. Yeah. And so I think you're absolutely right. We need to be very humble and... um, and uh, to clear, clearly identify in which parts we are experts or not. But yeah. in, in, in some situations, uh, we have to make decisions in everyday life, and that's when, shall we use our instincts or not? Well, there is no way there to, to, to determine whether objectively whether we are experts or not. So in some sense, um, you need to... You need to. You are the only uh, tool you have to make decisions. So, there my my suggestion there is: it doesn't matter whether you use intuition, your instincts, or or something else in this particular decision. What matters is what's your approach to life in general. If you are, if you approach life by trying to observe what others do, trying to observe what you do. And make uh, objective evaluations of what you are, what others others are doing, and that will lead to uh, make good decisions in the specific cases. So that's what I say. For the specific case, it's very difficult to to give you to give a, a clear advice what to do. But what's your approach to life? That is, uh, I can say something that very clearly uh, and try to self-reflect and and evaluate yourself objectively and when you have that approach then you will that will lead to make good decisions when you use your instincts yeah amazing thank you so much for sharing that and i think we can now jump into our next section which is our practices experiment debrief so i'm just going to be asking you about your approaches personally to decision making so is there a practice that you use in your life to help you with your decision making yeah so a bit what i was saying about um about this approach to life so i i, I not um not not to have a specific tool for a specific situation, but an approach to life. And one, one uh, thing that I um, that I did long time ago, it is what I called uh, to have my own ethical system, which was to 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 reflect on what things I think is uh, right to do or wrong, but for me, not for not a moral system that applies to the whole society. So what mm. what things are good and bad for me? Um, and and then try to see whether I, I am following that. Um, so that was a, a very uh, important exercise that I, I went through. And um, it basically shaped my decisions in the future. So, yeah, um, that's something that you don't do in one day or two. It's something that you will, you do it in over a number of years. And you reflect on what you think you want to achieve in life. And if you want to achieve that, what are the right things to do to achieve that? And what are wrong things to do to achieve that? And then, then you make, um, you make your, decisions, your life decisions based on that um, ethical system or your personal ethical system um, rather than um, based your decisions on what other things is, other people think is right. So yeah. that that's um, one of the... It's not yeah, a, no, I... Sorry, you go ahead. 
No, so it's not a technique for making yeah. a specific decision, but it is a, uh, a technique that I use to to approach life. Yeah, I really like that idea of like an ethical process. So does it have like a lot of emphasis on putting yourself first and like what you know is right before anything else or other people? Yeah, so definitely it's um, because you've, you've got moral systems like uh, religions and law and, and that they tell you uh, something what is good and bad for everyone in society and so what I decided is that I, would, I want to decide myself based on my my understanding of the world and what is right or wrong for me. It's not for others, so maybe something that for me is 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 wrong, I don't think that for others would be wrong, but it would be for me because of the information I have, the, the opportunities I had, uh, and then, for example, wasting my time would be something wrong um, for me. I don't think that is definitely something wrong for others, but that's wrong for me, and then, then I try not to do it, and I fail a lot, but <laughs> as I said at the beginning, um, I try to put myself uh, quite challenging goals, and yeah. then I do quite well, but not I, no, I don't achieve those goals. But I still feel feel okay because I knew that I was uh, a, a lot of pressure to me. So 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 yes, it is putting yourself, and not in not in a selfish way, that you don't care about others. It's just you don't want to impose things to others. And you don't want others to impose things to you, but that doesn't mean that you don't care about others. Because part of that uh, um, ethical, personal ethical system could be that you need it is um, uh, important for you to help others or to or to not be a, a uh, not require the help of others. So try to. Uh, solve your problems so others don't have to waste their time to help you. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a pretty subjective process, I guess. It's definitely. Like, yeah. Yes. Um, so it's, would you say it's a lot to do with like what you believe personally, despite what other people might think? Absolutely. Yeah, it has to do with that. And, uh, but again, it's because it's, it's personal, it applies to you. It doesn't apply to others. Yeah. And so it's um, because I would be uncomfortable if what I, what I believe is wrong for me, that I try to impose that to others. That would be selfish. And, and but so when you are, yeah, you've got a, a subjective approach, but it applies to you, that's perfectly okay, at least in my, in my uh, belief system. Yeah, amazing. And do you think that there are challenges to this approach as well? Yeah. So the the challenge is that sometimes you are not um, um, you don't conform to what um, the society expects from you, and uh, so so th that's the main challenge. Um, now you I mean when I was younger, I was. I was trying to. My my ideas were quite uh, uh, different than the normal, and then when you when you go um, and you become experienced in life, after many many years, then you realize well you cannot be so uh, yes or um, white. Things are not white or black. White, black, or white. They are grays, and then you have to compromise. Um, so if so, if if you were still um, the the you've got in the background what you think is good or bad, and you are going towards that goal, you still have to compromise, and and don't feel too bad about that because you live in a society, and then you you have to. Um, um, sometimes do things that are not exactly what you believe is right 
but they are perfectly okay for society. Um, so uh, that is that is the challenge, and but that's why you need to be flexible in the things you sh- can be flexible within your system, and and yeah, and yeah, not be flexible in other things. And that that uh, that's something that yeah, there are not easy ways of doing that, but. So in general, when you follow your belief system, you are happier. You feel that your things that are are doing things that are um, that are that are right, and then um, you're achieving things in that system, not what others think you should achieve, and that that allows you to to be happy with yourself. Yeah, I I really like the way you put that about, you know, personal happiness and like finding what makes you happy. And I think that, like you said, life experience takes years to accumulate. So as you get more experience, there's always going to be more things that are thrown into the mix that might make decision making more challenging as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, brilliant. And do you like find certain times where you like to like do this practice or do you just find that it happens subconsciously? Like you're always trying to make decisions based on your values or your beliefs. Yes. Not, not a, not particular time. And so, and as I said, at at some point in life, I, 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 I I spend a lot of time developing these, these uh, belief system, this personal ethical system. Um, and, and then it's part of my everyday life, so it's it's not something that I think about it. So that's again, remember when we're talking about your instincts or your habits. Yeah. Yes. At some point, you have to spend a lot of time in developing things, and that then things become uh, more automatic in the future. Um, so, in order to to be able to trust in your instincts, you need to do the hard work at the at the beginning so yeah currently no it's something that uh, that happens uh, quite um, automatically yeah amazing and thank you for sharing that and your experience with us as well i'd like to move into our open mic section now so this is basically yes. where you have a chance to talk about anything you'd like to talk about you could expand upon what we've already said today or talk about anything you'd like yes Thank you for that opportunity, and and yes, so I think I, I'd like to expand on that um, that that uh, that um, personal ethical system, um, and which because I think that that's the best way that everybody can contribute to society. So when you when you um, when you um, make uh, try to make good decisions and um, you you become more self-reliant so you need less help from others when you um, are you are happy yourself then again you, you require less help from others and that is I believe the best way to contribute to society it's not big things that we we should uh aspire to do it is just making good decisions making an effort to make good decisions educating yourself and 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 being humble and being objective and trying to improve yourself all the time and that will lead to good decisions and when we everybody individually is making good decisions the society improves and and that is a message perhaps that when you give me this open mic opportunity is is this that by self improving objective with objectively and um, um, and being humble and um, making good evaluations of what you are that is a huge contribution to society and that I like yeah to put that message forward. 
Yeah, beautiful. And I think that's the perfect way to end today's episode as well. I'd love to just leave everyone with that to think about because there's also thinking about yourself and the decisions you're making, but also how that helps society in a broader sense. Once you're focusing on what's really important to you and what aligns with your values, it'll naturally have a more positive effect on what's around you. Yes, absolutely. That's, um, That's the idea. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And that also brings us to the end of today's episode. But for those who want to find out more about you, where can they go? Um, okay, so if you Google my my name, that you will have um, a lot of information. I also have a YouTube channel and that that has sold my my lectures in statistics that I gave. So there are more than 120 videos, and that includes Bayesian um, Bayesian statistics. Um, so again, you can just uh, Google my uh, my name, and and you can find my YouTube channel. Great, thank you so much. And we also have Gashemo's details in the descriptions below. Um, but to everyone listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on and we'll see you guys next time. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.